All right, guys, this is your host Shane with Radical Rocks. Today we've got a super exciting episode. It is jam-packed. Um, we are going to talk about all kinds of rare stones, the rarest ones. We're going to talk about Robinsonite and so much more. I was looking at Radical Rocks. There were fossils, minerals, and rocks and things. There were sand, hills, and rings. The first thing I found was a geocrystals. Quartz with no clouds. Agate was hot and the ground was hard. But the gems were there to be found. See, I've been through the desert, found a rock with no name. Felt good to have in my hand. In the desert, you can find lots of rocks. Cause radical rocks are everywhere. That's right. Radical rocks are everywhere. And today we are going to talk about so many kinds of rocks. I mean, I didn't even know where to start on our uh, initial introduction. We're going to talk more about the mines of Oro del Rey in Utah. We talked a little bit about it last week, but we've got even more details on that. It actually was a fabulously rich area where there's still gold there today. We're going to talk about adding the valuable uh, or value indescribable value really to gemstones that you might have there's a lot of really great gemstones happening uh, we'll talk about not gemstones gem shows that are going to be happening that we want to talk about we're going to talk about et minerals from africa pegmatites of uh, southern california there's a little bit of information on that a stone called robinsonite maybe you've never heard of that we might talk about topaz um, we've got some dino news, like I said, and gold mining. And also, which I think is kind of really interesting, is this cawthonite. Um, uh, it's uh, pretty neat. And also, boil agates from Oklahoma. We're going to talk about all about that, where to get them, how to dig them, what to look for, and so much more, guys. That's just the main part. First of all, I want to thank everybody for liking and subscribing and sharing. Also, I want to thank uh, Kristen for her donation. It was very nice. Um, we appreciate all of our subscribers and views and donations and all that stuff. We are on Etsy. It's uh, Radical Rocks USA if you want to look that up. And then also on eBay. Just look up Radical Rocks and we have a few things there if you're interested. But... You can check us out on Facebook. Just look up the Radical Rocks group. Um, you can join that. We also have a Radical Rocks group on MeWe that has a lot of activity. Thousands and thousands of members in those areas. YouTube videos um, are doing very well, even though, uh, you know, I'm a little quirky and uh, not uh, a professional videography or... A professional podcaster or anything like that. So thank you for all the support. I really appreciate it. As we go into a year four of our podcast, um, I've had the Radical Rocks group going now um, since uh, 2009. It started out as a Yahoo group, and now uh, our podcast is seen in over 70 countries Granted, there may be only one or two people in some of these little countries and lands, but uh, pretty widely distributed overall, and we really appreciate everybody taking the time. We love your feedback. If you have any ideas for a show or have anything you'd like to contribute uh, to a show, you can reach out to us on the social media. I, I try to respond to everybody, and I believe that I do. So let's get right into it without further ado. So much for all that uh, good stuff. What? Let's see, what should we start off with? How about Noble Topaz? We talk about Topaz a lot. This is a great little article if you want to check it out. You can go to um, lovebelfast.co.uk. Our friends over there in the UK talk about the Noble Topaz, and uh, it's under an article in Instagram fashion, and the the credit is Love Belfast, and it just tells us some nice things about Topaz here. I'm not going to give you every bit of detail because we do talk about this gemstone quite a bit, but it is a good price gemstone. 
There's a lot of different colors and cuts. It's very resistant to scratches and chips and things like that. You can get all different colors. I like blue topaz, very pretty. Also, um, color changes do happen to uh, topaz. Sometimes they use uh, uh, x-rays or heating techniques and that can uh, cause these pinkish colors to pop out or brighten up the color. And a lot of times um, this stone can be uh, variegated where it is faceted in a certain way where it can shimmer in shades of green and purple. So just the way you cut it, and we're going to talk about that too, a way that you can really add incredible value to gemstones of all types, but particularly crystals, doesn't have to be a precious gemstone. It can be semi-precious. Um, add a lot of value to it by faceting techniques. The more complex the cut, the cut, the more valuable it is. And it can also ch actually change the way the stone looks. It can even change the color. Like we just said here, if it's cut right, um, you can get it to these facets to shimmer in green or purple or other colors. Um they talk a little bit about the uh, spiritual side of this. The zodiac sign uh, of the stone is suiting to Gemini, Virgo, Cancer, Scorpio, whatever that means. Um, but jo uh, jewelry in general, they have a guide here of what kind of clothing this would go with. Um, they talk about the colors of topaz from blue to bright orange. Um, these will go well with turquoise. As for cold colors, cool shades, uh, blue-gray, transparent topaz will do for winter or summer. Warm shades for warm colors, autumn and spring, look better with stones in sandy yellow or orange tones. And then dark hair, dark eyes um, look better in bright, saturated hues. And light platinum blonde needs pastel shades, according to um, our expert here. And they give some more detail on that if you want to check that out. Just go to lovebelfast.co.uk and you can find out more about it. Mysterious fossil discovered during extremely low tides near Santa Cruz at uh, activenorcal.com. You can find out about this. Um, no... Nobody accredited to it. They have a picture of this fossil. I guess they had what they call an extremely low tide event. Um, when this was found, uh, they twittered about it. They sent a picture. The San Jose State University professor, uh, Dustin Mulvaney, came across a three-foot-long gray mass and other fossils below the uh, Capulta Bluff, a small coastal area near Santa Cruz. The rugged shoreline is usually not accessible, but exaggerated low tides during the King Tide created dramatic coastline that allowed uh, him to explore the area and find some of these fossils. Um, there's actually bones here. They think that this might be a whale fossil of some sort. So now they're very excited. Um, geologists and uh, such in the area, these that study, paleontologists rather, that uh, study this are very excited about this supposed baleen well that uh, is, they now think is, uh, you know, extinct. And they said that uh, this was a toothed ancestor and uh, pretty cool. They've got another bone here which is, uh, looks like a piece of a whale bone as well. And uh, so they're very excited about that. Next, our friends at the Anaheim, California Searchers Gym and Mineral Society, they always send out these wonderful newsletters. You can sign up and get newsletters. You can join their group. You can join their face, uh, Facebook group. All sorts of things you can do. Um, but they have a lot of field trips, but they talk about gem pegmatites of Southern California. They're actually having a, um, a speaker, uh, Walter Lambrato. He's spoken before, but
But he says that Southern California is known worldwide for the production of gemstones and mineral specimens from the granite pegmatites in San Diego, Riverside, and San Bernardino counties. Some of the more well-known minerals are tourmaline, garnet, aquamarine, morganite, kunzite, quartz, topaz, and lepidite. All this stuff is uh, very notable at the Pala and the Mesa Grande mining districts. The Ocean View mine uh, is one that's famous. I've actually done videos on on that where I have gone uh, mining in those areas. You can actually pay to dig there, so that's something pretty cool if you want to get some beautiful tourmalines. I've got an aquamarine. I've got kunzite, spondylene. Um, I don't know about garnets, but uh, lepidite, I got some of that. It's kind of a purple mineral. So he's going to talk about the regional geology um, and how that all came about and how these important mines and gems that they produced. He has over 35 years experience, so um, that should be pretty cool. Let's see if they tell us when this is supposed to happen. Uh, they're January speaker. So you definitely want to join their club so you can, uh, they've got saw oil available here at a discount of $65 for five gallons for members or $75 for non-members. So it looks like they're open to sell that to anyone. So you might want to look up the searchers in Anaheim if you're in the area. Um, they're going to be doing some quartzite uh, field trips, early man site, which is out by uh, pretty close to Calico. Uh, in the California desert, Mojave Desert, Rainbow Ledge. Um, details to be um, given. The Quartzite Powwow. Arizona is, it's, it's rock and gem season in Arizona. This should be your mecca if you are a rock and gem or mineral or fossil enthusiast. Um, you definitely want to go here. The powwow, I think, is the best. This is where the real rock hounds and some miners go. There's also another one I'm going to talk about tonight at some point, hopefully, that claims to be from real rock hounds and, and miners. But the powwow at Quartzite, small, not as big as the Tyson Wells, but good people there, real rock hounds, don't go to Quartzite without seeing the powwow, Okay. Look it up. Um, there's an RV park there that you can stay. It is January 18th through the 22nd. It is the oldest gem and mineral show in Arizona. They have over f uh, 520 booths. So this is a really cool spot to go. I bought some really wonderful um, gemstones there. There's a lot of places you can camp and stuff too. So um, check that out. Um there's the Tyson Wells Rock Show, which is January 1st through the 16th. Um, there'll be field trips, um, and you can go check that out if you want to at http semicolon backslash backslash www.g, as in George, i a a r i z o n a. So it's giaarizona.org backslash powwow, P-O-W-W-O-W hyphen capital F for field trip, hyphen capital T for trip dot H-T-M-L. If you want to find out about that field trip, there's your information. You can either look up the searchers or you can go back and, and play that uh that website ad address. Johnson Valley Field Trip, they write up about this. Nine people from age 8 to 92 went to Johnson Valley. This is in California. Um, and there were they were joined, the searchers were joined by a Pasadena club and others. They were looking for this beautiful bird's eye orbicular rhyolite. Um, sizes of this ranged from tumblers to a uh, big enough to do a sphere and uh, they had dinner they headed out to the green rock mine it's out on green rock uh, mine road and some of the folks there said that was the first time they'd been there uh, it got pretty cold at night about 30 degrees which for me that's nothing that's warm but uh, they were able to find some stuff there and um, they drove through Luzerne Valley and saw some beautiful rainbows. They've got some pictures of this obicular rhyolite here. Uh, pretty nice find. 
These are what you want to do. You want to join these gym and mineral clubs so that you can find these good spots. And um, also one other thing they bring out is January's birthstone is garnets. So I know we'll be talking about garnets probably next week or something. We will, maybe we'll just do, maybe we should just do a whole show on garnets. I don't know. That'd be kind of cool. All about garnets. Um, do a special, uh, special edition. That might be nice. So anyway, check that out. That's awesome. I'm telling you, today's show is really cool, guys. I have got so many new minerals, the rarest minerals ever. First and second most rarest mineral. So you're going to want to hear this. Got some great gold mining stories. The largest saber-toothed marsupial weighed nearly 300 pounds. <clears throat> you think of kangaroos and stuff like that. A-Z-Animals.com tells us, um, written by Emilio Brown, all about this saber-toothed marsupial. It does look kind of like a saber-toothed cat. Uh, it's the largest saber-toothed marsupial ever. They said it was carnivorous, and then they said that it might have been um, a... Um, uh, carry on, you know, a scavenger, basically. And I believe that it ate some vegetables too, because I mean, the teeth, it's got some molars in the back. So I don't know, uh, could be, could be a carnivore, but does kind of, uh, look, uh, pretty impressive. Uh, and they have several complete, um, skeletons of this, but, uh, this is found not in Australia, but in South America. It weighed between 180 and 260 pounds. They think that the largest could have weighed 330 pounds. Um, so they show pictures of complete skeleton, but I guess they have some parts that are missing. Um, they estimate, based on what they found, that it could have been four feet long and had a medium-sized tail. Um, again, this was North and South America during the uh, Pliocene period, whatever period that is, but uh, pretty cool. So you can check that out if you want. All right, I'm debating. Should we talk about the rarest mineral on earth or should we talk about something else? Six types of minerals and metals that are found in your cell phone at chof, the number 360.com. You can find out about the six types of minerals and metals found in your cell phone. Pretty interesting. They have a pretty specimen here of uh, what looks like a greenish quartz with native quartz or native copper on it, like a raw copper. So copper is definitely used in cell phones. Very important for mobile, um, mobile phones or cell phones to have copper. Can't do electricity without copper. Um, for the most part. Lithium is another one. We know we hear about lithium a lot. Excuse me while I get a swig of coffee. Lithium, lithium ion is what batteries are made out of. This is what allows us to, I mean, just imagine all the batteries you'd have to have in your phone. Um, you got a little tiny battery in there that weighs a few ounces that keeps that thing charged all day. You can feel the heat come off that phone. I mean, it would take so many of the other type of batteries, the acid batteries or whatever you want to call them, the dry batteries. It would take such a huge pile of those to power your phone. Um, it, it really is a blessing, the lithium battery. So that is super important. Um, of course, if uh, it says Chile is the world's largest copper producer produces 28% of all the copper, just to kind of give you a highlight on that. And then for lithium, it's uh, most of it uh, comes from Chile, also large producer of this. But um, the salt flat area in Argentina produces the second largest amount of lithium. Silica... Silica acid? It, silica is what it is. It's an element of quartz. It's used in mobile phones, and um, they use it to make chips, micropress, uh, microprocessors, and uh, it is very, um, there's tons of it in the earth, but the ultra-fine and purest is what they need 
And these are found in deposits and sand in places like Queensland, Australia, the Mid-Atlanta states in the U.S., and North Carolina, uh, North Carolina and Virginia is where the best is found. Another mineral, which is very important, is germanium. Germanium is a mineral used to make semiconductors for the phones, and it's a silver-white brittle element often used in many electrical appliances. It's a, a rare earth mineral, and uh, it's found in rock deposits, and um, as well as in zinc ore it can be found. The U.S. does have some germanite, uh, germanium or germanite, and, uh, but we rely on China very heavily, and they produce over 70% of it. Mongolia also um, has some that they're producing. Baxite, uh, B-A-U-X-I-T-E. This is a mineral that... Uh, you stupid cat. He's knocking my water over. Sorry about that. He's dumping it on the floor. I don't know what... Was, this cat is always into something. So anyway, uh, Baxite is a source of a mineral called galenium that is used to produce the LED backlight that makes your phone shine brightly at night. Most of the world's biaxite is found in tropic and subtropical regions of the world. The biggest deposits occur in places like West Africa, South America, Australia, and India. And uh, get away, cat. And Australia is the world's largest producer of the mineral. So um, the next thing is potassium is also used in cell phones. It, it comes from an element that is used to make the touch screen on your phone, and it comes from a potassium salt called silavite. It's found in places like Canada, Russia, uh, and other areas. It also increases the durability as they survive the drops and destruction that we put them through on a daily basis. So hopefully they find some other space-age material because I've got a lot of friends that have broke the screens on their cell phones many times. I, I never have. I've been pretty lucky. The world's largest giraffe was almost 3,000 pounds and had antlers, according to our friends a to zanimalscom written by Emilio Brown. You can find out all about this uh, huge giraffe that had antlers and... Um, They've got a rendition of it here. It looks kind of like baby moose antlers and then two uh, devil horns in front of that. <laughs> they said they might have only gotten up to about 18 feet, but uh, they were pretty big. And um, this species, um, where were they found? I forget. Um, they've got a picture of it here. And doo -doo -doo -doo, not seeing much else on that. They did find some some horns. They found two pairs of horns and some skulls and potentially some other bones. I don't know why they always find the skulls, but they never find anything else. I think it's it's hard to uh, to really, you know, sometimes the bones are scattered, so it just doesn't, uh, doesn't make much sense. It says, okay, they found cave paintings in the Sahara Desert of animals that closely uh, re look like this animal and its relatives. So I guess that's where it was, out in the Sahara Desert there. So pretty cool. All right. Um, so, ooh, it looks like I lost one, uh, one page because it got blocked for some reason. Uh, I certainly didn't look at anything very bad. I didn't look at anything bad at all. Let's see. So extraterrestrial minerals found in Africa. Well, that's what we're hearing at... Uh, M. Parker, uh, I M P A, or not Parker, I it's I M P A K T E R dot com, and um, I scour through all kinds of articles to find these for you by Olivia Sophia Ingleston, and she tells us about this this uh, meteor. They say it's unearthed, but then when you read it, you find out that they've actually known about it for hundreds of years. Um, potentially, and they were using it to like sharpen stuff with. <laughs> they were using it to sharpen their knives. They were using it as an anvil, and uh, there's even accounts of singing uh, music and folklore related to this reddish boulder that uh, 
these local camel herders were aware of for generations. So they took a small sample of it. Uh, some professor, Chris Hurd, who is in Canada at the University of Alberta, he found out that there's two new minerals. We talked about them last week. They're iron minerals. But uh, I thought some of these other details were pretty interesting about uh, how it had been there for so long and was used as an anvil. And uh, I thought I would add that to this week's episode just as a kind of a little bit more input from last time. Now, there's a wonderful story in jewelrybusiness.com. Um, but when I go there, it keeps putting an ad up in front of me. So let's see how much we can get out of it. I did read it pretty good. But it says, Polishing Pretty Stories. Uh, engaging customers with an entire tale of colored stones. And it's accredited by Diana Jarrett. And they've got a picture of this very unusual faceted gemstone. It's like, I would say it's something like a tiered gemstone, but uh, it, the tier go, go drop corners off to one side to the left. And it has very geometrical um uh, like emerald type facets, but it also has crisscrosses and slash facetings in the back that cause this color change in this uh, 93.77 carat, they're calling a a caserite, a caserite. And some of these stones are only semi-precious, but because of the special carving that is done, it makes them very rare and ex super expensive. This is something if you are thinking about faceting or you have a lot of stones that could be faceted, this is something you might want to look into. Um, they use this as a way to entice clients. And sometimes clients bring in their own stones and um, have someone try to carve this and make it look really beautiful. And remember how we were talking about the topaz and it brings out different colors? Well, this particular stone here is kind of a lime green, but with these facets, it's brought out a golden color, a brown color, uh, a dark aqua color, it, and yellowish colors, and flashes of different varieties of colors all throughout it because of this special, unique faceting that's taking place on the back side of the stone in conjunction with the front side of the stone. So this is something that is really cool. Um, they have to take into consideration the stone's cleavage. Also, they were talking in this article here about tourmaline and the certain pressure points that are on it can make it extremely difficult to um, cut because it can actually fracture while you're doing some of this fancy back cutting to bring out these lights and actually different color um, refractions coming out of the stone. The, one of the gym cutters who's a uh, from uh, Nambia, a very experienced gym cutter, uh, Clara Venter, is favoring the um, garnets. But this one, she's also cut hundreds of tourmalines over the years. And it has a beautiful 8.45 Nambia orange tourmaline that, uh, that Clara had faceted that is kind of a, it's, it looks round, but it's a triangle. If you can imagine that, a rounded triangle. And it is faceted and is spectacular. It looks beautiful. Some of these stones can sell for as much as diamonds. Um, the article is quite lengthy. I think it's really worth reading if you want to look at uh, a different type of investing opportunity. Some of these artists, I could see these being very collectible. I'm not giving you financial advice, but uh, I see an opportunity here and I want to share that with you. And here goes the pop-up, so time to move on. Robinsonite. We talked about Robinsonite. So what happened was I got an email from uh, one of the mineral, um, see if I can find it here. It was, what was her name? Uh, I think it was on January the 2nd. I saw it. Uh, do, 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 do. Let's see. When was it? It was, yes. No, it was December the 30th. 
It came out on December the 30th, and here it is. It, it's Chris Christensen's Mineral Collection. They had uh, they send me emails. Sometimes I tell you about some of the beautiful mineral specimens that they have. And they had this Robinsonite from Italy. And I thought, well, that's cool, but I don't know a darn thing about it. So I went on... Um, I went on to look and find out what I could find out. So here's what I found out. Um, you can go to Merriam, M-E-R-R-I-A-M, hyphen Webster.com. So I guess it's the Webster, Webster uh, thing. They tell you uh, that this is a mineral. It is a sulfite of lead and atomani that is found in Persian County, Nevada. So... This is a uh, mineral that is collectible. The beautiful specimen that I saw is from Italy, and it really is the prettiest of all the photos that I've seen. It is of uh, found along with lead is all I can find, maybe zinc, and the most beautiful ones do come from Italy. But there's also some more plain ones that come from Italy, a uh, province in Italy, Tuscany, Italy, and Lucca. Um, area in Italy. The Elizabeth Mine uh, is a region in uh, Slavica, and then um, another specimen from the same area. It is a lead gray. It is a metallic. The hardness is only about uh, two and a half to three. Specific gravity is about 6.7, and the crystals look kind of fibrous, so they're long and strung out. Um, some of the localities you can find it is the Redbird Mine, Antelope Springs Mining District in Pershing County, Nevada. So there's an area where you can find it. If you go to uh, mindat.com, you can also find information on it here. It's primarily, according to webmineral.com, a hydrothermal mineral. And uh, they also quote the Pershing County area for finding it. And it was named after Stephen Clive Robinson in 1911, who was a geological surveyor of Canada who first uh, identified the mineral. So you can find out about that. Something different there for your um, whatever, your list of, of minerals that you might want, right? Our friends at Rock and Jim. Send emails, and uh, they have links. And I found an interesting article they had on finding agates in Boyle, Oklahoma, B-O-L-E-Y. And you can check that out if you want. They tell you where to find the agates road trip. Um, basically, in Oklahoma, in Boyle, uh, it says here... Um, you can find them. They're easy. They have a nice, they polish very well. Um, the best agates are a little harder to find. It's probably more of a jasper um, and a silica. Um, they call these agates, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, they also call it pudding stone. Brecated silicates can also be found together. The geology of these agates Um, they say that the formation in east-central Oklahoma contained chert class, but the Boily conglomerate contains some varieties um, that have been very interesting to geologists and collectors alike because they are of a higher quality. Um, this Vamusa formation extends just north of Ada, Oklahoma, to the Kansas line, and this deposit uh, can be found in alluvial delta, uh, there, it contains more chert conglomerate than any formation in the area with a total thickness of 330 feet. The breca is mostly angular, raising in size from a fraction of an inch to three inches. So, all kinds of stuff here that you can find. They have some of them polished in pictures here. They come in white um, with uh, brownish swirls, white with gray swirls, um, a reddish brown outlined with white with uh, a tan brown blotches, a brocaded piece here, a swirly um, kind of plumish looking with a grayish blue color and brown 
or a grayish color with white clouds and clearish areas, reds, um, and other beautiful colors that David Leninger polished several spectacular cabochons made from his finds along the back roads of the Seminole County. So this is widely spread through the Seminole and the Okfuski counties, and the best-known outcrop of the Boily uh, conglomerate is the abandoned Donald Stover gravel pit located in the southern Seminole County. Permission must be obtained before entering the property. So maybe you can look that up and find out. Maybe that maybe they'll do a pay dig. Or you can go around that area and see if there's any open areas. I don't know. You'll have to check. Um, this is a, a microcrystalline quartz with microscopic characteristics um, that fit into Jasper's agates. Flint, chert, carnelia um, are also related species, I guess you could say. Bandit agate formation is not um, is not huge there, but when it is banded, this would be a chalcedony. Um, it can be found in the area, apparently. They don't have any pictures of it demonstrated here, but uh, I guess it's possible. The silica matrix is mostly iron oxides, and hydroxides are most common. Pure agate is white, light gray, blue-gray, which we talked about. Impurities, particular sulfur salts, and other minerals responsible for banded specimens in contact with the silica gels generate a wave front that creates alternating compositions of the band. Very pretty. Um, it can easily be found in ditches along county roads of Seminole Valley. So just walk alongside the road. You have an opportunity that you might find this stuff on Highway 277 between Sasequa uh, and uh, going west on Highway 56. From there, there are several dirt roads turning north. Um, so who knows? It, it's all over scattered chert pebbles, cobbles, and such. I would uh, look up a gem and mineral uh, club in the area and you're going to do quite uh, quite well. Said within a couple hours, you should be able to find buckets of material once you find one of these hot spots. You might need a little screw screwdriver to uh, get them loose. Be careful if you have kids around that. But uh, these agates are great, whether you're a beginner or experienced. And then they have a little article here about if they are truly agate, um, this chert breaka or banded chert, or stratified chert, if you want to dig in a little bit deeper. Next, what is the rarest mineral on earth? There is only one specimen of the rarest mineral on earth, and it is from Marimar. You can go to livescience.com, and you can read about this. This is the gemstone that uh, I mentioned in the beginning, Ka... Uh, Ka Thuite, Cawthuite. It's found in Miramar. It is the rarest in the world. They have a picture of it here. Uh, it is faceted. It is a golden brown of, of sorts. It's more, more of a golden orange than a golden brown. And the they say that uh, it does not contain carbon. It is a mineral. It is the rarest mineral on earth, Cawthuite. The only crystal found in Magok, Region of Miramar is known to exist, and it is small, 1.61 carat, deep orange gemstone, uh, according to the International Mineralogical Association, and it was recognized in 2015. So, if you could find that, that'd be great. Now, there's not much more information on it. So, the second rarest stone um, we might want to uh, talk about is... Uh, painite. It is uh, a little bit more easily found than it used to be, but uh, it is considered the second rarest um, mineral gemstone that you can collect. Now, this is sometimes found along with um, rubies. Uh, author Payne acquired two crimson crystals in 1952 in Miramar, according to George Rossman, professor of mineralogical uh, uh, mineralogy at Caltech, who had been researching 
Painite since the 1980s. So he has uh, sampled them and viewed them. He says that they're often found where rubies are found. Sometimes these things are mixed up with other gemstones and are popping up um, and have been donated, some of them, to the British Museum. Another painite uh, sample from Miramar surfaced in 1979. And until 2001, those three crystals were the only known specimens of painite in the world. Um, so there you go. Um, his article was only um, analyzed and published in 2018 by the Mineralogical Magazine, if you want to check that out. Um, they used infrared radiation to identify elements and how they absorb infrared radiation, used to identify elements based on how they absorb, reflect, emit the light. So that's how they did it. They call it spectro, spectro, uh, scopic, uh, or scopy, and um, they scatter this infrared ultraviolet light, and it makes the molecules give off unique vibrations that help them identify what these are. Uh, they have several samples of them here that you can see. It's very rare because it's only found in Miramar, but the real reason it's rare is because of its formation. Um, it says painite is a borite crystal, uh, which means it contains boron and also uh, contains zirconium. So boron is notoriously difficult. Uh, it has a, a difficult time bonding with zirconium. And pyrenite is the only mineral in which the two have been found bonded in nature. And while it's still unclear why zirconium and boron have not been found together in significant concentrations, they think that it is because of the strange formation that caused Miramar. So Miramar that created uh, Cothuite and this painite is a, a probably because of what happened with the supercontinent that began to split and India crept north and collided with what is now South Asia. Pressure and heat from that collage, that crash, um, caused a treasure trove of many rocks and gemstones. Several of them are gemstones. And that's when they think that the boron and painite and other borite minerals possibly came from the shallow seas to the newly, the newly formed landmass. So you can find out more about this if you want. Um, there is more to this article. It is pretty cool. So uh, again, I want to thank uh, Kristen for the donation, but we have one more thing to do. We have some gold mining stuff. Our friends at the uh, Miners Expedition, uh, Gold Rush Expeditions, they uh, publish some articles, magazines. They'll send these out to you for free. Apparently, they went to Leadville and uh, celebrated what is called Boom Days. This is in Colorado in the United States. And uh, Ford, the Ford Motor Company... Um, did uh, had an electric truck and a Mustang, and they did a commercial here with with our friends at the Gold Rush Expeditions. And um, but in in light of that, they they used it as an opportunity to promote their truck. But the, what was going on at this time, this Boom Days, was celebrating women's mining miners, and uh, pretty cool. It says, Boom Days is a large focus on women miners of the industry. The Climax Mine had a booth set up promoting the women of mining, and the Miners Museum had a new exhibit focused on women's contribution to mining over the years. A parade of young girls wore a shirt that stated, Proud of, that my mom's a miner. And a lot of locals are really proud of this history. Um, one of the locals, who is a 94-year-old man, it says, he worked at the Climax Mine for over 50 years, and he's still climbing up the hills and kicking rocks at the age of 94. He is upright and still going at it. So good for him. Rockhounds don't die, they petrify, right? Okay, now, this is what I promised you guys. More about the Oro Del Rey mining area 
And this is pretty cool. This is from the same, our friends at uh, Gold Rush Expeditions, the same um, same source. Oro del Rey. Um, this canyon was an awesome area. We talked about it. It was developed by the Spanish miners around 1912. But even in the 1800s, this was being, um, this was being prospect and, and mined. There were several operations across the canyon from 1880 until 1912. Now, prospecting did continue after that, and we'll talk a little bit about that as well. But Oro del Rey translates to King's Gold. And down this canyon, you've got the Bueno Mine, the Goshute Mine, and other little mines. Some unknown miner developed most of this canyon and these mines through a series of deep workings cut out on into milky white quartz, locating native gold deposits, which means loose gold, visible gold that you can see. This operation covered hundreds of of feet of workings and some of the areas that even cut through the mountain to reach the deposits on the other side. Um, so many of these areas have been operated by several parties all the way through the 1980s, just before the big gold boom of 1981. So one of the mines actually closed right, right before the gold boom. We'll talk a little bit about that. The Oro del Rey miners were quiet about their findings. Um, they had, ex- and we know it was big. We know their findings were impressive, and we're going to talk about that too. They had expensive equipment that the locals saw coming in, um, and some of that equipment is still down in the mines. And this is a treacherous canyon with no access. This stuff was really hard to get up there. They observed about once a month, the locals saw that an escort would bring a strong box from the Deep Creek line to. Wendover, which is another town, they'd ride into Salt Lake City and then to Denver to sell the gold to the U.S. Mint. They did all this up until 1971 because they did this because it was illegal to own more than a few ounces of gold back then. Um, It made it difficult for the miners to be able to trade their gold in for currency or money that they could use. So if they could get to the U.S. Mint facilities, they could turn their gold and get cold hard cash, and that's how Oro del Rey operated and uh, always got the full spot price for their findings. In the heyday, Oro Oro del Rey was a series of drift workings on the east face of the range, complete with a chow house, a bunk house, a mine boss house, a lookout platform allowed them to see for miles, and... uh, they would, they would look to see if anybody from the U.S. Bureau of Mines was on their way. <laughs> Today, the bunkhouse is the last structure still standing, aside from the tram towers that span the deep, steep, deep and steep canyons. The overlook is nothing short of spectacular across the great western desert. The old conveyors and trammers remain inside the mine and will probably never be recovered because they are so difficult to access The equipment is evidence of the massive expenditure and effort and funds that it took to get this equipment to the top of the mountain and the time and skill to build cabins, bunkhouses, head frames, all the timber work and everything, all carried through the most challenging times in American history like World War I, World War II, even through the Civil Rights Movement and other such things. Oro Del Rey's remaining equipment is proof of the absolute fortune that was being extracted from this mine. For over 60 years, the mine operated without oversight from the Occupational Self uh, Safety and Health Administration, known as OSHA, or the Bureau of Land Management, or the Forest Service. Nobody was messing with them. They just were working and doing what they could. Um, they could even today, an untrained eye could go into this gold mine and find many gold-bearing ore bodies. The area, it's got gold. You can find this within minutes. It's laden with silver iron. Substantial amounts of native gold um, was left behind. Areas that paid an ounce per ton were left behind. Why? The quality and the quantity of the ore that was initially mined there had to be spectacular because they left these veins 
that bear more than an ounce of ton, an ounce of gold per ton. That's a rich gold mine. Some gold mines will mine gold at a tenth of an ounce of a ton. So an ounce per ton is wonderful. It says in 81, 1981, a mine developer was working on the Oro del Rey. He started clearing the Devil Pits mine. He worked into the old Oro del Rey audit. And at that time, gold started rising. It went from $300 on up to $800 and more. They were on the cutting edge of being able to mine this. But the government turned against the small miner. The Federal Lands Management Policy Act changed the mining for the worse. The Environmental Protection Agency enforced excessive requirements, and the Bureau of Land Management became trigger-happy for turning public lands into gated-off wilderness areas, according to this article. All these elements crushed Oro Del Rey's small mining operation in 1984. They had to abandon it, all that time and money and effort, down the drain for nothing even though it's completely profitable mine. Um, the old mines of Deep Creek Range will sit there amongst the thousands of tons of rock until someone decides they will mine these sites rich in gold ore. Um, and that will be probably a good fight if you're going to try to do it in the bureaucracy that we have right now. Until that time, these old mines and their history and their gold will wait quietly in the forgotten canyons of the Deep Creek Range. Pretty neat area. Um, I don't know if you can go up there and visit or not, but boy, that, that would sure be tempting to go up there and uh, chip a little piece off. I don't know if it's a wilderness area, then they're going to throw you in jail, so don't do that. But uh, pretty cool that you could go to an area and actually see, uh, if they let you in there, I guess, you could actually see uh, visible gold on the walls. They actually have a place here in Idaho off of Highway 90. It's an old uh, abandoned gold mine, and it's a little store, and they do like gemstone panning and gold panning out in the front, and they'll do a little tour. You can go down in their mine, and they actually have a few little spots that have visible gold right in the walls of the tunnels that you can look at. It's pretty neat. So guys, I think that is all. I don't think I have anything else for you. Until next time, remember, rock hounds don't die. They petrify. <laughs>